On episode 270 of the official GunnaGeek.com show, we discuss how there's been a lot of Amazon voice service devices sold, maybe, how Apple's all grown up now and leaving home, how there was a Gunna Geek related New Horizons flyby, and we also discuss the geeky endeavors we've been up to over the last couple of weeks. This and more in this week's show. I'm Michelle Ely from the Starling Tribune, an Arrow TV show fan podcast, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other amazing geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Here, we're a bunch of geeks talking about geeky things. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen. But what if I'm in the mood for a T-Swift story? Chris. I've heard the X is going to give it to you. And SP. That's how we roll on Gunna Geek on Monday night. We get crazy! Gunna Geek Productions presents the official GunnaGeek.com show. Welcome to the first episode of 2019 of the official GunnaGeek.com show. I am Steven John Drew banging my microphone. Oh, that sounds bad. And we also have Chris Farrell. And I still have tears in my eyes from laughing so hard in the pre-show. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, and nobody will know what that is. We also have, of course, the wonderful, the fantastic Stargate Pioneer. Happy New Year, everyone. It's 2019, and we are set to go with another wonderful year of the GuttyGeek.com show. Have you considered this question, though? If this is 2019 and the last one that we recorded was 2010, what happened to all of those years? I guess you were drunk. Yes, exactly. That's always the correct answer. So let's before we do get into anything here, I just want to go ahead and tell you that we are part of the Guinea Geek Network. The Guinea Geek Network has a bunch of amazing geeky content. And I just want to say that everybody had a lot of fun over the holiday season and there's a lot of good chatter amongst the network and if you think that you would like to be a part of the network too please do get in touch with us you can go ahead and go to gunnageek.com slash join there is an application process and we are always looking for potential applicants potential people on the network that's gunnageek.com slash join and we would love to have your company stargate pioneer i feel like that you want to say something even though you're silent right now I did, you know, this is crazy because I was going to say, we love you. That's what I was going to say, because, you know, the way you ended it off. Yeah, we want you to be part of the Gonna Geek Network because we love you. Uh, that seems forced. That seems forced, kind of like whenever my wife says it to me. That's a personal problem that you need to work out in some sort of couples counseling. No, no, no. You just got to dig a pit in your basement. <laughs> Get some rope and some lotion and learn the line. It puts the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. All right. Well, while we're going to go and check on Chris's fiance, let's go ahead and roll on to the news. Here we go. All right. Here's what the thing is now. This is this is the thing that we've all wondered. We've wondered this for a very long time because we have talked about it here for a very long time. And that the question is, how many Alexis 
Oh, I said it. Have oh, sold. Oh, you're fired. How, uh, mine no. weirdly didn't go off. But how many have sold? Because we talk about the Amazon Echoes all the time on here, but it's always been a mystery. How many have sold? Well, it looks like we might have the answer, right, Chris Farrell? We do have some details here. So for those that are unaware, CES kicked off was yesterday or today. I can't remember. Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas. There's all sorts of crazy gadgets coming out. And of course, Google and Amazon are going to be touting their own wares. In fact, there's kind of a war here when it comes to customer numbers. So let's talk both Amazon A-word numbers and Google Assistant numbers. And if you're listening to this right now, reach over, hit the mute button on your Amazon voice services device. I'm going to try not to say the trigger word, but I'm bound to slip up as many times as it is in this news story we're going to talk about. Is that like Just how you and your fiance slipped up that one time? That's how you were born, Stephen. Oh, you're my enough. you're my time child from the past. We time traveled. Daddy. Uh, hello, son. Ooh. How do you do? But let's talk more about Amazon voice services. You guys might be aware Amazon has been notoriously reluctant to show or talk about just how well Echo devices and their voice service devices are doing in the marketplace. You never really get anything specific. It's vague boasts where they talk about the most gifted item this holiday season or most requested graduation gift and things like that. But now we do have some meaningful, excuse me, meaningful figures. Dave Limp, who works for Amazon, was talking to The Verge and said in an interview, there are over 100 million Amazon voice services equipped devices that have been sold to date. It wouldn't say how many of those own device are how many of those things are its own devices or break down products by category, but the data suggests there are plenty of Amazon voice services capable devices in homes. And he did also point out, as of right now, they are sold out of Echo Dots through January, evidently. So a lot of people want Amazon voice services devices, but here's the catch. This is this is a little deceptive. They don't really give you the full picture. We don't have a clear view of how many of these devices exist in a given household uh, or how many people actually use the AI helper. And bear in mind, remember, they're they're jamming Amazon voice services into things like microwaves and washing machines and ovens. So just while it's there, it doesn't necessarily mean it's being used. So, yes, they have 100 million Amazon voice services equipped <laughs> devices out there. I caught myself, but that doesn't necessarily mean but they're all being used. And while there's over 28,000 capable smart home devices with Amazon voice services at this writing, there's a good possibility that some of them go underused. This is a quote from Engadget. That's where I found the news article from. Just a So this quote. wouldn't include like the clickers like you have, Chris, right? Well, it theoretically would because if I hold down the button, you can then trigger Amazon voice services and then tell it to do things like turn on a light in the house, add things to my shopping list. So this doesn't give you a great idea of how many people own these devices because you've got houses like mine, for instance, where I have six or seven Amazon voice services devices in the house. There's two of us. So that's what, three and a half a person? Yeah, I was thinking if the average household, and this is just me spitballing, right? So if the average household has four, so that's 25 million households on average. If the average household has five, it's 20 million households. It's a lot of households, but it's not a hundred million households. Right. And, and like they mentioned, the article doesn't account for the fact that they're jamming this in dumb things. I mean, let's be honest. If you had Amazon voice services in your washing machine, you might use it once to try it to be like, hey, a word, turn on the laundry cycle or something like that. And then you'd be like, huh, OK. And then you'd probably promptly forget about it after that. 
And this also doesn't count for the fact that Chris Farrell owns about three million of them. I just said I own like seven of them. No, you own three million. I believe that that's the correct I, number. I'm going to start selling them for like five bucks a pop. <laughs> uh, you, you do bring up a really good point, though, about all of the little things. And I think SP hit it on the head with a little whatever stick thing that you have. And they probably count the echoes because that those are all or sorry, not the echoes, the fire sticks and all that crap. So it it's not really a very concrete number, but it's still interesting to see how much this has taken off because I'm sure if Microsoft was to put out numbers about Cortana, we would see that it is a very small percentage of this. And theoretically, this would include Kindle tablets and stuff like that, too, because remember, they made a big point of even saying the, the crappy seven inch version that's like, what, 35 bucks brand new could run Amazon voice services on it. So and I think it's on it out of the box. So again, just because it's installed or on a device that someone has, it doesn't mean they're using it. How many people do you think are really using it on their Amazon Fire Stick or something like that? I am. Do you? Okay. No, I don't. I'm just, okay, I'm, I just, yeah, I'm just arguing with you. <laughs> That's fair. It's fair that I argued with you? Okay. Yeah, that's Sorry. what you're here for. That <laughs> creates controversy. We start fighting each other over stupid things like, oh, I hate my iPhone, but I love this, and blah, 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 blah. And then we go into fanboy wars, and people love it when we fight. You know uh, who else loves it when we fight? Who? Google does, because uh, they can add monetize the hell out of that. <laughs> that's a terrible segue, but I want to talk about Google next, because, hey, Google saw Amazon releasing numbers and said, we're going to do the same thing. And they literally did this today, right after I posted this in the docs, just so they could rain on the Amazon voice services parade. They wanted to let people know how many devices have access to the Google assistant. Hey uh, guys, this month it's going to hit 1 billion. 1 billion devices have access to the Google assistant. Billion with a B. Billion with the B. So that means 10 times as many as Amazon. However, again, we start getting into the, the semantics of it. What's the catch? So Google's billion assistant devices claim only means a device can use the assistant. That's very different from a billion active users. So again, we have the same instance here just because I have an Android phone that may have Google assistant on it. So I can scroll through and look at the cards does not really mean I'm using it or that it's actively being used or I'm engaging with it in a voice manner. Now, there are a lot more people that are starting to use it as we've got Google Homes being put out in the house. And Google even claimed that active users of the Google Assistant grew four times over the past year. That's a distribution that went to from rather 14 countries in eight languages in 2017 to now 80 countries in 30 languages. So they are growing it and making it a lot easier for there to be an active user base. But honestly, the, the catch here really is pretty much any Google device that's out there has the capability to use Google Assistant. Android phones are everywhere. Mid-tier, low-tier, high-tier, luxury-tier, they all have access to the Assistant on it. How many people do you really think use it? It's one thing to be like, we've got a billion people that can use it. That's fine. I have to admit, I became increasingly irritated with Google Assistant over this past couple of weeks. Just from a smart home perspective it's just so annoying um how finicky it is with certain things so irritating eventually i i on multiple occasions would just open up the a word app the a l e x a app and give my voice command that way because it was faster to actually open it than try to actually figure out what i was trying to say on the google assistant app and so when people have that sort of experience 
you know, you question how much do they really use it? That part of it's habituation. You've got to get used to the way these things talk to you because I've got both in the house now. I'm kind of saving it for a segment at some point in time later down the road. But here's a sneak peek at one of the issues I've run into is I have a Harmony hub that is configured in my house to control the TV on my living room. It's really easy when I come downstairs in the morning to be like, hey, a word, turn on the news. And it's programmed to know that means turn on CNN or turn on sports means turn on ESPN or anything like that. Now, if you do the same thing and say, hey, G word, turn on the news or turn on sports, it tries to play something on YouTube. So the trigger method to use the harmony skill is different. If I tell it to play, say CNN or play CBS or play ESPN, 60 percent of the time or so, it does it on the cable box. The rest of the time it tries to trigger it on YouTube by playing content from them. So for some things, it's a bit more finicky, but other things it's it's not. It's really weird. Another issue I've run into is I have in my house a group called the Office Lights and a light called the Office Light. There's a distinction here. So if I tell a word to turn off the Office Light, it turns off the light that's over my shoulder. If I tell a Google Voice Assistant or excuse me, Google Assistant to do that, it turns off both the lights in my Office Lights group. It does not make the distinction between singular and plural. So there's some weird little catches. There's weird stuff. It's some of the stuff you find out playing with it. But the, the big takeaway here is the people that have potential access to these digital voice assistants is huge. Remember, Amazon has what, like a two year start, a head start on them. So they've got a lot more devices. They can interface with their digital assistant. I'm trying to find the quote here. Google says Google Assistant works with 10,000 smart home devices from 1600 brands, meaning there's 10,000 devices that can be controlled by Google Assistant. However, Amazon still has almost three times the smart home support of Google as it recently announced 28,000 A-word compatible smart home devices from 4,500 different manufacturers. So if you're from an auto home automation point of view, Amazon voice services is still the better way to control things because they have more connections out there. Remember, if you go back two years on this podcast, there was a lot of concern or questions from Steven and I going, wait a second, Google's putting out a home assistant but it only works with like three smart home brands. What the hell guys? Cause remember wink wasn't supported out of the box. We had to wait until they put that in there and it's become robust. It works fairly well. And I can attest to that fact, but Amazon has a head start though. They have less devices out there. But again, I think these statistics are all skewed and can be looked at weirdly. Yeah. They've got a lot of devices, both of them. That's what it comes down to. And it's just finally interesting. They put numbers of some sort to it. And when you try and dig in and get this analysis of it, you can sort of get the idea that there's more Google devices out there, but more skills for the Amazon devices. For sure. And I rambled a lot. I apologize, audience. You know, it's been a while since we've done a show. It's been a couple of weeks now. And so we want to hear more Chris Farrell. That's the bottom line here. So would you like me to sing you a little song? Speaking of Apple. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but moving on though, right? Like one of the the companies that was into voice assistance early was Apple and they have fallen behind and what's interesting about Apple is now they're stuck making some changes to some pretty die-hard structure that they had before and that includes Apple TV. For those of you who aren't familiar, Apple TV and affiliated services have always been limited to Apple devices. You've either had to have the Apple TV or some of the stuff you could get through an iPhone. Well, it's looking like that's not going to be the case 
anymore and possibly indicates a shakeup within the way that Apple works. Because at CES this year, Consumer Electronics Show 2019, Samsung actually announced, of all people, I know, remember those Samsung-Apple lawsuits, uh, that they have signed a partnership with Apple that's going to bring iTunes content into the 2018 and 2019 lineup of televisions. This is going to include iTunes movies and TV shows app, and they're going to go live sometime this spring in more than 100 countries is what the company is saying. And what they're advising is the 2018 Samsung TV owners are going to receive a free firmware update that brings these apps to the Samsung Tizen or however you say that platform. Owners are going to be able to purchase or rent content from iTunes straight from the TV without having to have an Apple TV or a Mac or an iPhone or whatever. As well, they're noting that they're going to also have AirPlay 2 support on the 2019 and 2018 TVs so that Samsung customers are going to be able to play videos, audio, you know, everything that uses AirPlay straight to their TVs. This is a big change for Apple. And that's actually why I wanted to mention it because the feature itself, like Samsung adding a feature itself is not really newsworthy in my opinion. Them adding Apple is newsworthy from the perspective that Apple's opened up to somebody now and allowing this service elsewhere. And we've seen a lot of changes in recent. A lot of companies are um, pulling out the integration to the Apple store so that their revenue is not being taxed by Apple and there is going through third party. We've, we've seen companies do that for a long time. Amazon was, was one of the first ones. So I think that this is an indication that maybe Apple's looking at the bigger picture and thinking, how else can we maximize our platform? Because at least in this situation, now these Samsung owners might be buying stuff through the Apple iTunes store. So I think that this is very interesting. I forgot about the Apple Pay aspect of things where people don't want to be double, triple taxing themselves. One thing that I know out of the TV realm is that the Apple TV architecture was notorious for locking down so you couldn't use it with other platforms. I think uh, Amazon Prime was one of the things. I think Prime is back on Apple TV. But that that's the thing is that if I'm a consumer, even now, and I'm choosing between the Apple TV architecture or another smart architecture like Samsung, although I wouldn't do smart TV or Roku, I'm going to go Roku because it's the most universal. Will it be that way forever? No, but it's the way it is right now. So I have vectored away from using uh, anything that's iTunes or Apple related. And I'm more towards like movies anywhere or voodoo or, or a third party service, which I can get through multiple different apps. I can get it through my Xboxes, my Roku's and possibly even my fire sticks, although I haven't checked that out, but I'm not doing Apple TV specifically because of the integration issues. Yeah. And you're not alone in that. There's a lot of people that have dodged it because they have their concerns and because of app scarcity sometimes on Apple TV, because for instance, until recently, you couldn't get Amazon Prime on there. The YouTube app on Apple TV, by all accounts, is hot garbage, will not do 4K. Whereas if I pick up the YouTube app on, say, a Roku or a uh, Chromecast, if it's 4K, it will play 4K content. But the question I would have for you guys is, Apple has always been about their walled gardens, trying to have, every, have everything behind their garden, on their hardware, things like this. 
like that rather. What does this mean to Apple? Why do they make this move? Is this a concession that the Apple TV ho hobby project that is, isn't panning out how they want? Is it a concession that they need to turn iTunes into more of a services model versus putting it only on Apple things so that you can get a little bit of that cash from the Samsung guys so you're not having to push everyone towards having Apple TV hardware? I think it's very interesting because of how staunchly dedicated Apple has been to iTunes is only iTunes and Apple TV or any of their other streaming things that are Apple specific are only on these devices. Well, now they're not. Now they've opened the door. So when do you start seeing it on Roku? When do they open the door to that? Because Roku right now is what? 37% market share, I think was the last numbers I'd seen. Apple TV's 15%. So they almost triple the amount of users that could potentially access it. I think what it comes down to is that smart TVs are getting a lot better and there's a lot of people who the smart TV software works well for out of the box. So they don't need the Apple TV. There's enough stuff in some of these companies that satisfies the need of many consumers. So they're not going to go get the Apple TV and then there's no commission for Apple. So mm -hmm. in this situation, I've heard that Samsung's software that they've got on the TVs is actually really good. So if for what a year two years three that's tops the problem. i i will you know i used to be in your camp my vizio tv solid still uh it, it keeps getting updates continues to solve netflix problems when they come up very quickly so um How yeah, i think that's it? the way of of old uh four years oh, so okay. yeah so i think that's that's the old way of of thinking because a lot of the companies now are using software that's easier to update because they are using just something that's Android based, right? So it's not necessarily the software, although that's part of it. It's the processing part of it that I would question because after a while, it's just the same as the cell phones. After two, three years, it does start to slow down. Yeah, but we'll, we'll see. I'm seeing more promise. But in any case, with the price of TVs now and how much they keep changing, if someone runs into that issue in four years, there's a higher chance that they're going to go, screw it. Why don't I just buy a new TV? It's a good reason to buy a new TV because they keep coming down. That, that There's potential in that. But to me, it's the timing on this that is really interesting. So I don't follow Wall Street announcements or anything like that. But remember, Apple did just have an announcement a few days ago about stock market prices because of drops in iPhone sales in China, United States and things like that. So they're worrying and announcing that there's concerns with how that's going to impact the company's bottom line. And then about the same time, they open the door for the first time to make it so that you can consume this content on another vendor's hardware, something that's been locked to Apple TV. I wager these deals have been in the work for a while. They don't move that quick. But the timing is very interesting to me. And maybe I'm being a conspiracy theorist here. I think it's interesting. I think it's a great move for consumers because I would love to be able to be like, oh, screw it. I'll just put the, <laughs> the iTunes app on my Roku and I'll watch my stuff there instead of using movies anywhere to get all my apps out of iTunes over to my Roku. So you brought up an interesting point, Stephen, about the TVs, which I'm not prepared to let go yet. So I did look extensively at the TVs that were on sale over the holiday uh, season, and I was not uh, enticed at the low price point to go ahead and pull the trigger on a main TV and a secondary TV, it was fine. Something that got 720 uh, resolution to 60 Hertz uh, refresh rate. But if I wanted 120 refresh rate at 4K or 
240 refresh rate at 4K, it was going to be significantly pricier. Now, it's not $10,000, $20,000, but it was still a couple thousand dollars. So it, it's not the but panacea. That, that's, that's your specific needs. And I, I think that there's a lot of consumers are willing to buy that $699, 4K, 65-inch television that is readily available all the time for $699, $899. I guess at, at 60 hertz, I mean, I definitely see a, a difference between 60 hertz and 120 You hertz. do, but there's a lot of people who don't care because they shove it on a wall and they're not video files, audio files like you. Yeah. You know, it, it, the, the regular like LG, Samsung, they all make them in this affordable $699, $899 Canadian price range and it satisfies a lot of people. So... You know, there is always going to be the people with any hardware, any audio, anything that they're going to want to have the best of the best. They're going to want to have those features. And then there's the other people who are going to go, just let me watch something. And they, they don't care. And those are the type of people that I'm referring to that if their, app, if their smart TV goes up in a couple of years, see, I censored myself, then all of a sudden <laughs> they just go, this is a good opportunity to get the, the bigger TV. And, you know, people like you, on the other hand, you, you would rather just buy a new smart device. Yeah, we've talked about it on this show before. The three of us here and oftentimes our guests that come on here, we are not the right gauge to figure out how Joe Q, average guy, handles technology. Because we like to dabble. We've got all sorts of new toys. We read tech blogs. We read tech stores. We talk about tech each week on here. So we have a slightly different viewpoint on it versus, like Steven mentioned, just a regular guy who's like, eh, my TV's running slow. I guess it's time to buy a new one. They're probably not going to think about picking up a Roku box or a Chromecast because they're probably living in that world. So I see where you're coming from. I, I wish they were knowing that mm -hmm. it's a lot easier just to buy another $70, $80 box when it starts running slow than it is to replace your TV because that panel's <laughs> still running fine. Yeah. And by the way, I'll give one of these here. We have a big moment here. If you don't know this, we do record live on Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at Geeks.Live. For the first time ever, we have somebody that says... I have to agree with Steven. Wow, this is like the first time that's ever happened. So I just had to go ahead and call that out. Somebody actually agrees with me for once in the chat. And how, that much was did, how much did you pay him? I paid him a lot of money. Almost as much money as it cost the New Horizons flyby. New Horizons <laughs> costs about $700 million, by the way. And it was launched years ago. But it had something spectacular happen within the past couple of weeks. So on New Year's Day 2019, the New Horizons probe made history with a flyby of Ultima Thule, our good old pal MU69, which is a mysterious object 4.1 billion, with a B, miles from Earth in the Kuiper Belt. For you Canadians, that's 6.6 .6 billion kilometers. It's the farthest flyby of an object in our solar system of any probe, and the second rendezvous for New Horizons itself, which visited Pluto in July 2015. New Horizons flew by Ultima Thule, also known as MU69, at 12.33 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, hurtling past at a mind-boggling 32,000 miles per hour, or for you Canadians, 51,500 kilometers per hour, as it captured the first close-up view of a Kuiper Belt object. Now, six hours later, at about 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, wait a minute, six hours, 12.30 10.30, that's 10 hours, 6. I think there's some sort of time dilation that the thing went through because Ooh. that is not 6 hours, but that's what was reported. So 
<laughs> six hours later at about 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, the first signal from the New Horizons was received at its Mission Operations Center at the John Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory in Laurel, Maryland. The New Horizons team at that time was hosting a party that included guests like Chase Masterston of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, as well as astrophysicist and Queen lead guitarist Brian May. Yes, that is correct. For those of you that don't know, Brian May is an astrophysicist and an actual scientific team member of the New Horizons scientific team. Now, it will take about 20 months for New Horizons to beam back all of its images and other observations of Ultima Thule because it has just a small 15-watt transmitter to beam a vast amount of data home. So we're not going to know everything yet. It's going to take about 20 months to get the data and a few extra months to do some regression analysis on it. But this is exciting, guys. MU69, this is where life began, right? That's what you said in the previous intro. Exactly. So exciting stuff on New Year's Day for NASA. And this is in the midst of a government shutdown, which did affect NASA. They got special dispensation to have this party and to tweet the results. So wow. thank you very much, NASA, for taking care of us or the executive branch or whoever approved it, because this is amazing stuff. MU69, which looks like a bowling pin, and we'll have a picture linked in the show notes. It's going to be uh, amazing getting the data from this. This object has uh, formations from the beginning of the solar system. So we're going to learn a lot about the early solar system from this. Can I just go ahead and point out something here? Stargate Pioneer. Okay. Okay. If I was going to have a conspiracy theory um, uh -oh. and I was going to try to cover up something you know, like a fake moon landing or something like that. Uh, or the fact that the Earth is, Flatters. you know, supposedly round. Uh, wouldn't I give the special authorization to put these tweets out there? Just be like, hey, look, all oh, this stuff here, it's, uh, you know, keep the, keep the cover-up happening? Because that's what I think I would do if I was the government. So let me get this straight. You live in British Columbia, Canada. Yes, I do. They have laws for, you know, you know, Right, using a toothpick is that is that what sure, that gesture was? Sure, sure, we'll we'll go with that. I yeah. thought you were flossing. Okay, you oh you were flossing. Oh, see, I I, I can do the floss now. See, this is me doing the floss <laughs> for the audio listener. I was not <sighs> doing the floss. Ah, uh, okay, Stargate Pioneer. This is very exciting information, and I remember when you sent this to me uh, a couple of weeks ago, a week ago, and I I was very excited because you know what. You're the one that made us all know what MU 673,009 was. MU69, which is now named Ultima Thule. Oh, right. The Thule rack. I forgot about that. Uh, moving on to the extra, extra news point here. Chris Farrell, you told us something interesting today that we all were wanting to kind of get our hands on. What, what is going on out of Ikea now, Chris Farrell? Yes. So Ikea has been making inroads into the smart home market with putting wireless chargers in lamps, putting a Google Assistant in some things. And they've got an interesting product that's coming out now that I kind of want. So they're making an IKEA branded smart blind and it's twofold. It has a remote control so that you can put the blinds up and down, but it will also interact and interface with Google Assistant and Amazon voice services. So theoretically you could create routines similar to what I've done in my house where I go, Hey, a word, 
movie time and it knows to dim the lights in my living room, turn on the DVD player and put all the right inputs on there. Theoretically, with these smart shades, I could also have it put the blinds down in my living room. There's two different versions of these blinds. There's blackout blinds and there is also just regular shade type blinds. Now, there is a catch. They haven't appeared for order or availability anywhere in the United Kingdom or the United States. It does look like they're going to be rolling out Germany soon for 99 euros for a 60 by 195 centimeter gray version. Now, how do they control this? Some other smart blinds you see out there, you got to run power cables and stuff in to control it, or they've got like little solar panels on the front of them. So if they're in front windows, they can collect solar energy and charge a battery. The catch with these is they do use rechargeable battery packs. So you would occasionally have to recharge your blinds. However, that being said, I figure it's only a matter of time until someone inventive on Indiegogo or Kickstarter puts out a solar conversion kit that you can clip onto the front side of these blinds and then plug into this battery to keep it fairly well topped off with solar energy. And in my use case, the front side of my house gets cooked by the sun for anywhere between six to nine hours a day, it seems like. So these would be fantastic and would keep charged. I'm really curious to see how this is going to work. And I, forgot, I also forgot they also work with Apple HomeKit, evidently. And they also work with IKEA's, I'm going to mispronounce this, the Tradfi gateway they've put out for their own smart products they have in there. So if this is something to interest you, it's coming to Germany. Keep your eyes open and see when it might be coming to the UK and the US. But the 99 euro price point, that's ridiculous. When you go and, yeah. look and compare this to the price of other smart blinds out there where you're talking three to four times that once installed. Now, I'm sure it's going to be a pain in the butt to install and things like <laughs> that. But I will tell you this right now on the GoodGeek.com show on, excuse me, January 7th, 2019. <laughs> as I look at my clock and completely space cadet out for a second. If these come to the United States and I can go up to the Pittsburgh Ikea and buy a set that would work in the front window of my house, I am totally doing it. I will then videotape it and put it up on the Gonna Geek gear channel and the Gonna Geek channel so you can see these are pretty cool. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You just made a promise to do something in 2019. In 2018, in about the March timeframe, you made a promise to never, ever, ever, ever buy a PS4. <laughs> did I put it that strongly? I may have. You, di you did. <laughs> it was really strong. I listened to it a couple of weeks ago. Well, so you did that. And, and then yet in October of 2018, you turned 180 degrees and you bought yourself a PS4. <laughs> so I'm not sure the listener can hold you to this promise, knowing that you've not only reneged, but that you've completely done a U-turn previously. Checks out. Well, that was a U-turn to get me to buy something. This would be a U-turn so that I wouldn't get it if it was available. Exactly. So let me rephrase, since SP was kind enough to cut me out at the knees here to <laughs> undercut my point. I will make all available efforts to get these and put them in my front window if they become available in the United States where I can easily acquire them and ask questions. And I will then record said installation, demonstrate it, and ensure that it goes up on the Gonna Geek and or Gonna Geek gear channel. And just to sort of explain what these are for those who haven't actually looked it up, uh, they're roll down blinds, right? So like they're the ones that traditionally you would just pull down and like they're blackout sort of thing. Is that correct? 
There's two versions. There's a gray and there's a blackout yes, variant. But they roll down. So yes, so, they do roll down. So if he is making that commitment, I will make the commitment that I am going to do my best to somehow put a seductive picture of me hidden within that. So one day it rolls down and there I am reading Chris Farrell in the morning and nothing, nothing well, but an Alexa. You're generally greeting me in the morning when you hand me a cup of coffee and say, have a good day at work. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, next up in our extra, extra section here, Stargate Pioneer, there's another exciting piece of space news, isn't there? Space there is news. Indeed. This has been a week of a lot of great space stuff. And you guys remember the InSight lander and then the selfie picture that it eventually took on Mars recently? You guys remember that? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, that was the one that, um, who was that, that, that directed that movie? That was, uh, oh, sorry, sorry. that one Matt wasn't actually Damon? faked, was it? No, that, was yeah, that one okay. was real. Okay, Jamie. fair enough. Sorry. So, all right. So China's robotic Chang'er 4 mission touched down on the floor of the 115 mile wide Von Karman crater Wednesday night, January 2nd, pulling off the first ever soft landing on the mysterious far side of the moon. Now, the Chang'er lunar rover called U22, that's Y-U-T-U-2, gave us a great picture, just like the InSight as it began the short descent to the surface of the moon's far side in an image from the lander taken on January 3rd, 2019. If you haven't seen that yet, it's basically the lander leaving on the tracks and then leaving some tracks on the lunar surface. So the six-wheeled rover was originally built as the backup for China's Chang'e 3 moon landing mission, which was successful and delivered the first U-2 rover to the lunar surface. Chang'er 4 will perform a variety of science work over the coming months, potentially helping scientists better understand the structure, formation, and evolution of the moon. And what was the other name you said there? It was called what? You, you two? Is you, that what you Yeah, yeah. Friend? What was that? You two. Y-U-T-U. That was, that's the land, that's the rover. It was U-2-2 though, right? Yeah, it's the second U-2. Okay, so it's October? That that was the name of the second U2 album. So I'm assuming that that's what we're talking about here. Um, no. No, released in 1981. It's called October. I no. facepalm, but you would deserve it and want <laughs> you're, it. So you just you're get gonna, a shake of the head. You're going to ditz the Chinese after they <sighs> pulled off this momentous first on the far side of the moon. Remember, the far side of the moon is not the dark side of the moon. It's just tidally locked to the earth because it rotates at the same speed that is orbiting the Earth. So the far side is never seen by the Earth. And it, China is now on that far side. Two points on that. Number one, I will diss them however much I want because they were going to crash their space station into my house. Uh, second... Which still could uh, happen. There's another one that's coming down. Fair enough. Uh, second, we know that this is all BS because you can't see the other side of the moon because it doesn't exist. It was all fake. But that's where Suncast is right now. Yes, he is on a soundstage somewhere. Being no, he's he's on the dark side of the moon. That's why he has a delay in chat. It's not you of YouTube just delay. Pumping yourself up for that flat Earth conference. You want the keynote speaker role I, for that, don't hey, you? Absolutely. People are coming from all around the world for that. <laughs> all right, and finally, on our extra extra here, this is just a quick point that I wanted to point out here because we like to talk about smart stuff. We've talked a little bit about the potential of getting. A Ring doorbell. Well, Ring has announced that they have a new product which is going to be called the DoorView Cam, and it is meant 
to serve as a camera in place of something that SP is very familiar with is peeping. The peephole on your door. What? That's right. No, no, time out. No, we are not leaving that alone. That is not true in any way, shape, or form. Okay, fair Jesus. enough. Jesus. But no, if you have been struggling to find the appropriate spot for a ring doorbell, well, if you have a peephole, that is the intention of this is that it will allow you to still use your peephole, but it is meant to mount onto that area and record. So obviously you're looking at a viewpoint right in front of your door as opposed to the side where traditionally the doorbell is. I think potentially actually some better viewing angles for this. And it's really exciting for me to see because this is going to help close the gap for people who do rent, who have apartments, things like that. So if you have been waiting, it looks like Ring has introduced the door view camera and you could check that out and i wanted to mention that because i know chris farrell will buy one i don't have a peephole well you should put one in well you come on over and drill me a peephole on my door and i'll put that there okay fair enough okay <laughs> I will he offered it. exactly when you see me drilling in your door okay steven chris... the fact that you would spend the airfare to do that is totally worth the cost it would take for me to install a ring doorbell <laughs> remember we do have your address chris all right, well, let's go ahead and move on to our featured segment today, which is going to be a bit of a discussion about what we did. Hint, it's not seductive. All right, so we're geeks here, as we've talked about a few times in this very episode. We like to do geeky things, including techie things and other smart things, and... So when we do take a bit of a break, like over the holiday season, we like to get up to some geeky stuff. And today we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the geeky things that we did over the last couple of weeks, things we got for Christmas that were geeky, all that sort of stuff. So you can not only get to know us a little bit better, you know, you got to fill out that little book you have going on Stargate Pioneer. You can also hopefully get some ideas on things you might want to go and check out if you are looking for geeky things. So let's talk a little bit about what we got for Christmas or purchased around Christmas. We'll just say had come into our lives over the last couple of weeks. And one of the things that I want to just kick it off here right now was a gift that I got for Christmas and was mind blown at how much better it was than its predecessor. And that was the Echo Dot third generation. I had this on my wish list. And somebody was very nice, kind enough to give me one of these. And I will say that it has changed my entire intention of where I was planning on using this. Because my original intention was just because it was new, throw it in my living room. It looks a little nicer. Take the one that I had in the living room, put it in the garage. But the sound is so much better that it's now in my bedroom where I was wanting to have a speaker of some form. I didn't want to spend a lot of money because... We don't spend a lot of time listening to music in the bedroom, if you know what I mean. Uh, but because I, I sleep on the couch. Uh, but the thing, but no, seriously, when you're folding laundry or just working around the house, it's nice to have music in every room, especially with the group audio. And I was so impressed with how the Echo Dot third gen sounds that I just decided to place it into there. And it has now solved that hole that I had in my smart system, my speaker system. And I used it over the last couple of weeks a few times to stream various things. And it's perfect in a situation where you don't need big pumping music. It is unbelievable to me how much better this sounds 
than the second generation. So Steve and your wife is okay with you playing Jeff Foxworthy. You might be a redneck if at random hours. You know what? I actually play all Chris Farrell podcasts all the time. No wonder you're so warped. Yeah, no, no joke, man. It's how I fall asleep now, Chris. Have you listened to my one podcast? It's called Go the F to Sleep, where it's just me saying, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, and just various tones and voices. Yes, I have. I have made that one. Do you like how at the six hour mark, it goes, wake up and pay me. Do you like that? Yeah. Chris, do you happen to have any of the third generation dots laying around? I do not have any of the third generation dots because honestly, I'm tapped out on Echo devices. I have nowhere else I would put them. I don't want to put them in the bathroom, not because of creep factor, but because of steam factor in the bathroom. I don't want to have to deal with that and worrying about electronics frying and things like that. So I've played with them in the store, but that's not really a great testing ground to hear how much better they sound. By all accounts, they sound fantastic. And I will say the dot twos, they're okay but the sound isn't great. That's one of the things I actually liked about the Google Home Minis is that the sound is so much better. Yeah, the Dot 3s, I, I got a hold of two of them over the Cyber Week sales, and I placed one in my workout room so I could have some sort of a smart speaker interface in there. Placed another one in a guest room, and I've been happy with the sound right now. It does sound a little hollow. I mean, maybe it's where I've got it placed on, on a wood shelf basically but it does sound a lot better than the second generation dots and i'm excited to see where these go in the future Mm -hmm. i think we're going to uh witness a new revolution in smart speaker actual speaker not the smart things of it but the smart speaker technology where you're going to get really good sound out of smaller and smaller speakers i think these are going to drive it so it's going to be a fun couple of years as we watch everything unfold and in the meantime this has opened up a couple of new opportunities for me but we'll get to that in a bit yeah um i will say like my first generation echo plus far better i don't want it to sound like this is this amazing thing but compared to the second generation it's just far far better i could see myself actually eventually just retiring my second generations because the speaker is that much better in the third chris farrell what's something that you got up to over the last couple of weeks So I shared this with you guys on our chat that we have where we coordinate things. There was a slick deal that came up and I said, you know, I'm going to have to try this. Various vendors, I got it through Adorama, had a deal going where they marked the Google Home Hub down to $99.99 and then tossed in two Google Home Minis for free. So yes, I did pull the trigger. I have a Google Home Hub upstairs. The Minis are back ordered. They are supposed to arrive sometime this week. So I have been playing around with the Google Home Hub. And there is a part of me that wants to get a second one to put right in front of my computer here to have to be able to control things. Interesting device. We'll see whether I talk about it in depth at some point on the show or not. But it's basically, like they described, a Google Home Mini that has a screen on it. But I can swipe down and it brings up all my smart home controls. I can swipe over to the left. It brings up my calendar and the assistant and things like that. There's some pretty cool on-screen smart home control things you can do. And of course, it's a Chromecastable device, so you can watch YouTube, Netflix, Hulu, things like that on it. But it is an interesting extension of what they have done with the sound-only Google Home Minis. And what I've actually really enjoyed is it has its ambient display mode, meaning when it's not displaying any information, you can have it do like a slideshow of different pictures Google has, 
or what you what I do is it is directed to my highlights album in Google Photos and just has a rotating slideshow of photos from my Google Photos that display on there. They look really nice and they have an ambient light sensor on the top of this device. And this is one of the coolest things. They're constantly adjusting the display's brightness and color palette based off of the illumination in the room. So for instance, I have mine set underneath a lamp. When that lamp is off, it's a bit more it's a bit more subdued. You can still see things, but as soon as that lamp comes on, it turns up the backlight all the way so you can still see things, changes the color palette so things still appear to be the same. Google's goal with what they did on this, if you turn on the ambient mode, is they wanted it to look like you printed out a photo. And that's what's sitting in that picture frame. And it does a pretty good job of it. I, I've been pretty impressed with it. I like it more than my Amazon voice services, the Echo Show. I feel like it does more and it has a much smaller footprint. Of course, it's also only a seven inch screen. <laughs> uh, it was interesting to see you talk favorably about this because uh, over in our Discord server, which if you haven't checked that out, is going to geek.com slash Discord. We've got a couple loyal Google users over there from the Dadio podcast, or if you prefer the Daddio podcast, you're Willie. Daddio. Uh, and uh, the early reviews was that they didn't like it. They didn't like the hub or the so whatever it's called. I can understand why that would be the case. And I think it does have some limitations, one of which is there's no camera in it. So if you do a duo call with someone, you get audio only. Whereas if you buy the Lenovo version of it, there's a camera in it. My, my fiance, full disclosure, for Christmas, I got her the Lenovo version of the Google Home Hub. And she's got one upstairs that I like a lot, too. But I tempered my expectations based off of what was shared in our Discord. And I haven't really run into issues where it's not doing what I want, other than what I described earlier in the show, where some commands are finicky. The way you're used to talking to them with Google, excuse me, with Amazon, doesn't work the same way with Google. All right. Well, we will wait to see which of your two devices ends up burning the other one, and then we'll all know which is better. There's going to be a fight. We saw that in the Christmas special. We already know which one I love more. That's fair enough. And if you did miss that Christmas special, go ahead and go to guineageek.com. It's there. You can see it. Stargate Pioneer, what's one of the top things that you did this past couple of weeks there as you were being all geeky? Those that subscribe to the Guinea Geek Gear YouTube channel, you have known that I've done an unboxing and a review of a gaming headset, the Playtronics Rig 800XL. I originally bought that for a family member, not myself. And then when my son ended up here, for the hurricane evacuation, I bought him a pair of these. They were on sale and then he needed them to play games and not bug the rest of us while he was here for four weeks. And then he took those back and then it got to be the holiday season. And I was, <laughs> you know, picking something up at Best Buy anyway. And I saw him on sale even for more. And I was like, you know what? I actually want a new pair of wireless headphones that I can use with my computer and with the Xbox. So I went ahead and picked them up and I love them. They're very comfortable. I'm a bit worried about the long-term wear and tear on them. Like the, the ear cups are so soft that I think they're just going to degrade a lot faster than the ear cups that we're used to with our studio monitoring headphones, but they sound amazing. They have the Atmos sound available to them. And I do have my own pair now and they're charging out in the other room right now, but I love them and I'm grateful that I got a pair. Is that the 800 HD or the 800 LX? Do you remember which one it was? I, I think the LX is for the Xbox and I, th I think the HD is for the PS4. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Okay. Fair enough. 
Yeah, okay, so I'll go ahead and go to my next thing that I had, because it kind of piggies back off of that, uh, is we actually, for the family, did end up buying and during Black Friday. We got suckered in. We bought a uh, uh, Xbox One S for the family <laughs> so that, you know, the kids can play that, we can play that. Can, you know, not have the ridiculously loud first-generation PlayStation 3 going when we're playing Blu-rays. And uh, I've been having fun getting into some modern gaming again and whatnot. And the reason I wanted to mention that right now was because immediately I went and um, it was on sale, bought the Dolby Atmos extension so that I could do the headphone mode. And, I, and I've been doing that with the headphones that I have, but these 800s are on my mind now. He's like, you know, I, I, you said how good they were. Your son said how good they were. That is one day going to happen, isn't it? He was actually blown away. I mean, literally blown away by it. He was like gushing he literally over left, them. Like, like, yeah. like the well, size he did of the eventually. storm? Yeah, he went back <laughs> home. But he was gushing about them for like three days and just saying how amazing they are because of the Dolby headphone. So you can hear when somebody's trying to sneak up on you from behind. And if you're watching a movie or anything, you get the full 7.1 Dolby Atmos uh, effect. It, which is amazing to me because it's all just around your ear. So you're not like you don't have speakers in seven parts mm -hmm. of the room or anything. So it, yeah, I really enjoy them and I will recommend them to anybody. I do have the longevity concern. So a year, year and a half, maybe two years, depends on how much you use them. And then you're probably going to have to buy another pair, but we'll see. All right, Chris Farrell, what else were you getting up to? So this is a sneak preview of something I'm going to do when I tap that app at some point in time this year. But I remember our good friend JS, former co-host on the show at one point in time, an Instagram had shared a photo of a sous vide machine that he had gotten a Bluetooth or it was a Wi-Fi one. I can't remember and how he was starting to cook with it. And I went, that's kind of interesting. And for those that aren't aware, sous vide is basically a method of cooking where you take the meat, the vegetables or whatever you're going to cook. You vacuum seal them in a bag and then you put them in a tub of water with this sous vide machine that keeps it at constant temperature so it can slow cook it. Makes fantastic steak and salmon so far. I've tried it with that. So spoiler alert, I bought myself an Anovo Nano for like 50 bucks over the holiday just to play around with and tried one some sous vide cooking with. It's really neat because it has a Bluetooth app that pairs with the phone. So you pull up a recipe and say, I want to cook this and you hit the start button and it just starts heating the water dials it to the right temperature on the machine, gives you a notification when the water hits the right temperature so that you can go and put your food in and then has a timer on it that you can adjust from anywhere in your house. So I was pretty interested in that. It's been fun playing around with it. There are a lot of people like, oh, you should have shelled out for the Wi-Fi version. Well, I wasn't going to pay $50 more just so I could control it when I'm not in the house. Yes, there's some options where that might be cool. And yeah, there's actually times when People use this for days at a time. Like I saw one slow cook that was a steak for 48 hours in the immersion circulator, which looks pretty intriguing to me. But I have been playing around with it. And in a future episode of Chris Taps That App, I'll get more into the app and the device itself and some of the fun I've had playing around with food. I've only cooked two things in it. So it's far, far too soon for me to actually start talking about how well it works. Chris Farrell bought a gadget that he enjoys that doesn't have Wi-Fi, but could potentially have Wi-Fi. My money's on that he goes and buys the Wi-Fi version within the year. There's uh, absolutely no reason to. <laughs> don't don't put that on me. Don't tempt the fates. I've bought way too much useless stuff. And I don't need one more thing. Oh, uh, what else have you been up to this last couple of weeks, SB? Well, since I got the two dots and put one in my workout room, 
when I'm on the elliptical and I'm watching TV, sometimes I like to make it like a theater experience and turn off the lights. Well, that in turn means I'm going to have to get off the elliptical, go shut off the light, come back on the elliptical. And that kind of ruins the whole workout experience. So what I did is you guys know before the break, we talked about how I got some Wi-Fi switches and a plug. Well, I decided to try the hub now. So I went and got myself a GE smart light switch, which was Z-Wave compatible. And full disclosure, I actually went out and bought a Wink 2 hub, but I thought before I use the Wink 2 hub, which I have not plugged in yet, let's see about, remember, guys, remember that new HVAC system I got with the thermostat that was supposed to be a Z-Way hub? I do. Guys, I, I do. Yeah. Choo-choo. It was called the train, That's right? That's right. The train. T-R-A-N-E. Well, I went ahead and tried to pair that switch with the train thermostat hub guess what it worked it worked perfectly it's got some smart controls in there and i has sunrise sunset if i wanted that it's the workout room all and it linked up to the amazon smart speaker okay i didn't set it off <laughs> so i now can turn the lights on and off in my workout room while i'm on the elliptical or on the treadmill on the recumbent bike, I can do that and not have to leave, and I can get that full theater dark experience while I'm working out, which is great. And yep, I'm going now that I have this hub. There's going to be more of these going in the house. I'm not going to do it all nice. in one, you know, spiel. I will w just piecemeal it. But yeah, there are other switches that I will be putting in. Now that I know that this works and no electrical arcing this time or anything, <laughs> it was done properly and I was able to install it without hurting myself or the house. And I got to say, I Always fully, I fully support his move on this because he did not see me there when he had his light off. It was absolutely amazing. I was able to be there without him seeing me. I liked it. It was awesome. Absolutely I do amazing. have a surround sound system in there, <laughs> and I could tell you I've been freaked out by more than one occasion where there's been footsteps from behind, and I have to like turn around, and sometimes I've almost fallen off the treadmill and stuff. So <laughs> yeah, it, oops. <laughs> yeah, it does work. Well, as we start to wrap up this segment here, I got a couple of smart things that I have been still getting into over the last couple of weeks that I wanted to just fire through here. Um, Number one is that I got some smart switches that are meant for installing, you know, the archetype that Chris, uh, that SP mentioned, but I couldn't get them installed because they were bigger than the last one that I installed and, and whatnot, and it just wouldn't fit with the box. So That's there's what she said. Yes, exactly. So there's too many wires in there with how they've wired the house and whatnot. So I'm looking at a couple options. I don't really want to do the deeper box, but I, I hear there's an extension option. So um, looking at it, I might just not use those and wait for the next smaller form factor. We'll see. But I also have started my 2019 Christmas planning already. Oh, no. That's right. I was gifted a couple of outdoor smart switches, which is pivotal to my next year's planning and getting some really weird cable wiring in my chaos that I have in my yard. It's going to simplify things so much. I've mentioned that on, on the show before that these outdoor smart switches are becoming so much more affordable. And this is awesome because somebody gifted them to me. I'm actually joking aside, going to use them in my yard with 
yeah, you know, patio lights and things like that over the summer and whatnot. So I'm really happy to have these. This is going to be awesome for moving the smart stuff to my yard. And also, also in regard to various smart things that are going on, I do want to say that um, Chris Farrell and I have both advocated on here before for making a separate Wi-Fi network for your smart stuff, your Internet of Things devices, because realistically, the security is not that great on there. Well, I decided after getting some information, talking to my brother and whatnot, that I was going to go down the route of using my Ubiquity Wi-Fi access point that I have to essentially, and also my Ubiquity ERX router, to go and take what I had before was basically my main Wi-Fi was on my good Wi-Fi, my Ubiquity products, and then I had a crummy old router there for all of my smart switches and whatnot. I can actually go and segregate two networks within the Ubiquity hardware. So I have one access point providing two different SSIDs. So you see one that's specifically there for my Internet of Things. And then using my Edge router, my ERX router, I can go in there and program some firewall rules to separate those networks so that I am only using essentially one set of hardware for two individual networks. And that's, of course, also going to lead to different VLAN tagging and whatnot, which if you want to ask more about that, I'll explain that. But it's been a fun project for me because it's one less device in my house, one less actual Wi-Fi broadcast nearby, which is important when you live around so much Wi-Fi crap. And True it's that. been it's been fun for me to really start of actually use my Ubiquity products how they're meant to be because I was using them pretty simple. And the Ubiquity products, if you're not familiar with them, they're kind of prosumer level stuff. They are meant to be, for lack of a better term, played around with and have some more advanced programming in there. And so it's nice to have my Internet of Thing Wi-Fi integrated with my other stuff. Chris Farrell, what other couple of things you got on your list there? So I picked up Diablo 3 on the Switch. If you guys haven't played it, it came out in like 2011, 2012 on PC and all the different consoles. It's been pretty great. But really the one thing I wanted to mention, this was just a cool gadget I got to see is with the holiday break, I was on vacation for a while. So some of the things I've been putting off to one was getting an eye exam and some new glasses. So I went to do that. And when I'm there, like, well, it's really time you need to do put your pupil dilation and see if everything's all right. And I said, guys, I really hate those eye drops. I just hate getting the drops and just sitting around for the rest of the day with my eyes hurt and waiting for my pupils to return normal. And they paused and went, well, we have a machine for that now. Your insurance probably doesn't cover it. I said, well, how much? Like 15 bucks. Like, okay, 15 bucks is totally worth it for me not to get eye drops. They actually had a really cool machine they have set up to do basically the same kind of tests they do when they dilate your pupils and look into it. And what was really cool about it is they sit you down at a table. There's this big machine in front of you and there's an eye hole and they say, Take your face and lean up. Is that like the peephole that I'm going to go ahead and put in your door? It is. It's exactly like that. So there's this hole there that has a camera inside. And they say, lean up against this. And when you lean up against it, they say, don't push forward yet. You should see a red X right now. It's being projected in there. And I said, yes, this is exactly what I see. And then they said, just start pushing forward a little bit. And the front end of this machine has a plate that pushes forward. And as you're pushing forward, it finds the right focus depth and then the light turns green. And when it turns green, it means stop pushing forward. And then they take the photo and do the same kind of test they would normally do with pupil dilation to ensure the backs of your eyes are healthy and forming how the, formed how they need to with no 
injury change, anything like that you need to be aware of. And it worked with both eyes. And I did that test in less than five minutes. And it was awesome. I was like, can we get this more places? And can this be covered by my insurance? Because like I said, I hate eye drops. So there's some really cool gadgets that are coming out there, even in the ophthalmology region of things. Plus, they now have your retina print to go ahead and uh, fake all of your access. Nobody uses retina prints for anything right now. They do in Star Trek 2. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, nobody uses retina prints right now. Okay, fair enough. Uh, you also said that you were binging some things too, right? Oh, I just randomly binged a bunch of stuff on Netflix. One of the things I did talk about, God, I can't remember if I talked about it on here or not, but there's a, a product, a VPN product called Windscribe yeah. that I got a really cool deal for a lifetime subscription to Windscribe for $35. I think I shared it with you guys. Steven, I believe you got it as well. I did. One of the things that's interesting with Windscribe is they have servers all over the world. They have another one in the UK called their Windflix server that will supposedly allow you to access Netflix. So being the inquisitive young man that I am, I do realize it is a violation of the terms of service. I just tested, did not consume, to see whether I could put the VPN on my Android TV. My Sony TV is Android TV. I put the VPN client in there, logged in, connected to Windflix, and then was able to pull up Netflix out of the United Kingdom, and lo and behold, Star Trek Discovery was there in HDR with 5.1 surround sound. And I paused and went, wait a second, CBS All Access in the United States is somewhere between 720p and 1080p, and they had issues with surround sound at launch. What the hell is this? So to get the best way to watch Star Trek Discovery, you have to be on Netflix in a foreign country. You don't use the CBS All Access app to watch it because that is a subpar experience compared to what Netflix presents, and it just made me laugh. I wonder why. What? Would you care to speculate why that is? And I, I have a theory, but do you have a theory? Because Netflix built their app to support 4K HDR streams and CBS All Access did not. Okay. I was thinking in, in terms of there's a lot more internet bandwidth here in the United States going back and forth than there is in the UK, but you're probably right. Look, if you can run a VPN across the United Kingdom and have it not buffer... I don't think that's going to be the problem. I think it's more of a matter of they didn't consider presenting it in its top visual quality. And again, this is one of those instances we talked about earlier in the show where we're on the extreme end of things. We're not Joe regular consumer. We're more of, hey, I want to be able to watch the show and I want the best experience. So we find ways to do it. So maybe that's why it irked me so much that were I in the UK, I could get an HDR 5.1 surround sound version of Discovery. And if I'm here, I'm stuck with the CBS All Access app that by all accounts is somewhere between 720p and 1080p and most certainly not HDR. I've actually got the answer. And what the answer is, is um, we've talked about it before. Uh, Albert Sims, who usually comes to our chat, he mentions there's a lot of good back CBS shows on the CBS All Access app. Well, here's the thing is who really would want to see David Caruso from CSI Miami in full HD? Nobody wants to see that. So they just, they just purposely omitted it so that they don't have to do it. They just omit it for the whole platform. It's actually a smart decision. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And why don't you go ahead and bring us to a close, SP? I do. So for you podcasters out there that are watching this show, the makers of Boss Jock Studio, which is a recording app and soundboard, has been less than optimal for over a year. Well, 
that is not an issue anymore because they have come out with Backpack Studio, which I went ahead and purchased. I have it on my iPad mini right now. If you're watching the YouTube video, you're seeing the interface as it looks. And I can go ahead and play. Well, we'll just do this one. Sexy, sexy, sexy. Or maybe, uh, let's see this one. Oh, ha, ha. So, so we're getting echo. Oh, oh yeah. I, turn, I turned on the microphone. Yeah. I turned on the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> so, Oops. yeah, that is now uh, capable. And then you can report, record a podcast through that and whatever. But I'm just using it as the soundboard. And that was my soundboard, by the way, for Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. So that is what I use every week. And I'm so glad to have that because it has the integration back with Dropbox. Boss Jock Studio had lost that like a year and a half ago. This one has it. So I'm looking forward to using that. I'm not really intrigued with the size or the shape of the sound cards, but it is what it is. And I'm just glad to have something that works because I guess my secondary one, iJingle, also doesn't work anymore. So I'll just take this one. Yeah, I got to get myself a little iPad of some form because, yeah, those Ooh. those apps that you've had are way better than the Android ones that I've seen. So uh, very cool. And I can't wait to hear how you get rid of all of your podcast equipment and start using Backpack Studio. You True. can, but I'm not going to. You should. You should. He's going to. Who needs multiple pieces of hardware anyways? God. But that is going to go ahead and bring us to a close for this episode. Before we wrap up, I will remind you we are part of the Gunna Geek Network. The Gunna Geek Network has a bunch of amazing geeky content. I hope that everybody had a lot of fun over the last couple weeks without us. But don't worry, we're back in your ear holes every week now. I'll be away next week, but we're pleased to say Suncast should be here to join us. And if not... We will have somebody else uh, because I'll be away. Uh, I might, I might have a. Ch There's always a slight chance that maybe I can make the pop in when I'm away, but it's very unlikely next week with the way that I'm just being pulled everywhere. My my schedule book is all full. Everybody wants to see Steven. It's true. Everyone wants a piece. No, that's not true at all. But I just like to sleep. Uh, anything that you want to plug or promote, Stargate Pioneer, before we close. Sure. For those that, again, are interested in podcasting or anything audio or video editing related, I've started a new YouTube channel called Stargate Pioneer Edit Walkthroughs. It is literally me walking through the edits that I'm doing right now, largely from Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. So if you want to know how to edit video through Vegas Movie Studio or audio through Audacity, go ahead and subscribe or check that channel out and you'll learn how to edit the way I edit it's not lessons but it's walkthroughs just like you would do a video game walkthrough i'll make sure i have a walkthrough of poking a peephole in chris farrell's door when that happens chris farrell, i look forward to it <laughs> chris farrell do you have anything that you want to plug or promote so like steven mentioned we are all back after our holiday breaks refreshed recharged and ready to go so what does that mean it means there's a lot of live content that's going to be showing on geeks.live so you guys are probably there right now if you're watching this live if you are Scroll down to the bottom of the page. There is a calendar of live events. Please come check out some of the other live content on the network. Pop it in the chat room and tell them that we sent you from the gunageek.com show. And I will wrap us up here by saying a special shout out to youtube.com slash gunageekgear. We, uh, we are 
we hit 500 subscribers on the main gonna geek channel and i want to get gonna geek gear higher it's actually been growing much faster than the main gonna geek channel but uh if you haven't subscribed if you could youtube.com slash gonna geek and youtube.com slash gonna geek gear specifically that second one for the next little bit because i'd like to see that one take off now but for episode number 270 of the official geek.com show i'm steven i'm steven john drew saying thanks for coming back we're gone for a couple weeks i'm stargate pioneer saying i hope you've enjoyed this week we're gonna have a lot of fun next week with suncast i'm chris farrell and i'm gonna go get those blinds we'll see and he's getting that new kitchen gadget we know what's happening no no bye thanks for checking out another episode of the official gunnageek.com show if you like the show please give us a five-star review in apple podcasts or a thumbs up on youtube you can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.